This is episode 135 of The Creative Giant Show. I'm Charlie Gilkey. Thanks so much for joining me today. A lot of creative people thrive on having multiple side projects, at the same time that having side projects can cause your main project to suffer. Nicole Stevenson joins me today to jam about the flip side of the coin. How might side projects help you with your main project? Given that Nicole has a business partner with her own side projects, we also discuss how to manage the potential conflicts and energetic shifts that occur when their separate side projects collide. Ready? Let's do this. Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. Alrighty, Creative Giants, I'm pumped to introduce you to Nicole. Nicole Stevenson is an illustrator at Nicole Stevenson Studio and a writer and a creative business consultant. She's also the co-owner of Dear Handmade Life, which produces Patchwork Show, Modern Makers Festival, and Craftcation, Business and Makers Conference, as well as the Dear Handmade Life blog and podcast. Her path includes time as a street artist on the Venice Beach Boardwalk, costume designer in Hollywood, DIY workshop instructor, co-founder of a nonprofit that produced art shows benefiting charities, owner and designer of Random Nicole, an art-inspired clothing line carried at over 250 locations, and owner of craft workshop studio and retail store, The Craft Kitchen. She has a BA and MA in creative writing and is currently working on a nonfiction book about her crafty adventures. When she's not working... You may find her breaking up scuffles between her dog and three chickens, couch crafting while watching a film she's seen way too many times to count, playing guitar with her husband, sitting in her backyard with good friends and a margarita while playing Cards vs. Humanity, or squeezing in time for a quick trip to a lovely place where people are scarce and trees are not. Nicole, thanks so much for joining me today. Um, I know you got a lot of things going in the middle of, of making and creating and podcasting, so I um, appreciate you. I'm carving out a little time for to you know talk on the show today. Uh, I am really excited to be here. This is such a welcome welcome break from my spreadsheets that I was just on before we started talking. Oh, the spreadsheets, <laughs> management systems, and everything else. Uh, yep. So, give us a little bit of background of. Really, how you got here? Like, what made you, of all things, start a craft business and then grow that into different, um, different ventures and different um, walks? So, uh, I started out. Whew, uh, there have been so many different different things that I've done that it's it's kind of in a straight line, but it's almost like a tree branch with things going off here and there, but they always kind of lead back to the middle. So. I've always been a creative person, um, and I was in college for creative writing, getting my master's degree, and I had started painting with a friend, and I'd always been interested in, you know, photography and painting and drawing and creative writing, everything creative. Um, But once I started kind of getting more into the visual arts and taking that seriously, uh, I started selling my artwork, and then that turned into a clothing line, which I had for about 10 years, which I sold retail at craft shows and wholesale at trade shows to shops all over the I was say country, but all over the world. And during that time that I was doing that clothing line, I also opened up a retail store and I was teaching craft workshops. So I kind of always had my foot in a lot, in a lot of different things. Um, 
but it was around that time I was doing a lot of craft shows and I was kind of noticing that the people that ran the craft shows didn't, didn't really seem to know what it was like to be a vendor at a craft show. So I just kept thinking like, why aren't they doing this? Or, you know, what if I could do that? Do, do, if I did it this way, I, or if I did this, I would do it this way, you know, and like, here's how I would kind of keep the vendors in mind, or here's how I would do things differently. So at the time, my aunt, who is also my business partner, uh, we're the same age. So we're kind of grew up more like sisters. She was living in Orange County and I moved there from LA and there wasn't really anything like that there. There weren't any craft shows like, you know, as a, as a handmade business owner, as an independent business owner, I was driving up to LA or San Francisco to do shows. And she was really connected in the community and I was connected with crafters and knew what it was like to do, you know, do a craft show. So we kind of brought those two skill sets together. And we, our first thing that we started was patchwork show, which is a modern makers festival. Uh, and that was almost 10 years ago. And it was really just kind of like, Hey, let's try this out. Okay. Let me email some crafty people I know, and we'll just see what happens. And we had about 25 vendors and, the parking lot uh, behind her, she had a retail store and it was crazy. A bunch of people showed up and uh, people started asking us, when's the next, when's the next patchwork show? And we were like, Oh my gosh, we didn't even realize you knew the name of what this was. Uh, so we kept doing that, did that for a while. And then we noticed the need in this community of independent creative business owners for education and also for community to meet each other and to, you know, learn how to do their own accounting or PR or learn how to hire help for those things or do branding. And then also to take a break from their business and have fun crafting. So we started Craftcation Business and Makers Conference. And that was about six years ago. So those are kind of the two main bread and butter things of, of what we do now. And on top of that, we have a blog that has... DIY posts and also things to help creative entrepreneurs, business posts, and a podcast called Dear Handmade Life. And we produce some online workshops. And I think that that's finally it. <laughs> I know that you've like forgotten about half the things that you actually do, but that's part of the story that no. For context, I want to put this in for listeners, like 10 years ago, like the maker movement that we now are experiencing, like it wasn't there, right? I mean, the, the ability for people to connect and over stuff that they're making. And um, I also want to put out, depending on where you live, like a craft show or a maker meetup is um, either old hat or it's, you don't know about it. I, I moved from, um, well, Arkansas and then in Nebraska, but then to Portland and I'm like, damn, there's like a craft show every week here. There's just like, was what happens here? Um, and it was new and different at that time. And it's still, so I, I just want to put that out for context is that um, this, I, I think oftentimes, Nicole, we forget how new some of these movements and trends actually are. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, I think, a wonderful time to be crafty. Um, and I think there are a lot of different channels for you to, um, connect with people who are crafty and who love the craft that you do and your different channels. So great time for it. Um, but what was, what I've enjoyed about your story though, is that, um, you know, some people have a plan for what the business is, right? Here's where the business is going and they do that, but you seem to be much more responsive. It's like, well, I'm here, I'm making stuff. 
what's needed now sort of a scenario. So, but what I'm curious about is that when you have that adaptive, responsive way of determining what your business priorities are, there ends up being a lot of cruft or old projects that you're still kind of hanging on because you started them, but you haven't really killed them. Mm -hmm. Um, So how do you and your business partner work through letting go of the old things so that you can focus on the things that matter most right now? Wow. Um, It's actually very difficult. So when we, when my partner and I started our business together, which is now called Dear Handmade Life, and it's kind of the umbrella that covers patchwork show and craft and craftcation and all of the different things we do. Um, at that time, I still had my clothing line. So I still, I had a business that I was already working at full time. I mean, I was in over 250 stores across the world. I had five reps, you know, in showrooms all over the country. I was doing trade shows. I was selling it you know, 40 craft shows just in November and December every year. So while that was happening, we started this and for probably five or six years. And my partner, Delilah, had a retail store at that time too. In between that, I decided to open up a retail store too. So it was like, it was hard, hard to balance that. Luckily, the business that we started together, Dear Hemi Life, was very cyclical. In that, you know, it's craft show season in the spring, craft show season in the winter. So during those, you know, kind of slower times, we would take advantage of that to do stuff for our other businesses or for or for ourselves. But as time went on, it just it happened very organically that I just tried to pay attention to what I was excited about and what was sparking me, and then also what was profitable you know like what what which which parts of the business were going well and then i kind of just slowly let things drop off like i really started hating doing wholesaling my stuff wholesale so i got rid of all my reps stopped doing trade shows and i decided i just wanted to sell at craft shows which was kind of like working backwards because that was how i started and it's not a very uh, good use of your time i could make so much more money you know, selling wholesale than I could at craft shows, but I realized that was a part of my business that I still really enjoyed, you know, that community and that interaction with the customer. And that's what I was missing from my other business while I was in front of the computer all the time. So I think it's just kind of being aware of how you're responding to things and how the world is responding to your things. And then trying to make a connection between the two, almost like, um, can't remember what they're called, but it's the a chart where there's two circles and they overlap. Mm-hmm. So uh, what are those called? I can't Venn diagrams. A Venn diagram. Yes. So it's almost like that. It's like what, what you, what's working for you and what's igniting you and then how the world is responding to it. And then in that little middle area, focusing on that, where they, where they overlap and it's hard to let stuff go. I mean, my clothing line was, was my baby. I had sacrificed so much for it and had been doing it for 10 years. And I, how it happened was we have a presenter at Craftcation who's also a friend and she's a business coach. And I asked her like, can we just talk for an hour? Can I just pay you to talk, to talk to you for an hour? And she was like, sure. Answer these seven questions and send me your answers. And then I sent them to her and she goes, you realize when you answer these questions, you know what you need to do. Right. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, okay, close your Etsy store right now, you know, 
she's, and I'm like, I, 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 you know, I was getting, she was, okay, just put it on vacation. It never came back from vacation. It was like, once I took that step, I could focus on these other things and give them the attention that they deserve so that they could grow. Yeah, well, and I imagine that part of your matrix is that you thrive on novelty or the new things. Mm-hmm. And so once things reach a certain level of um, maturity or not newness, that mm-hmm. that's where it might lose some of the magic for you, right? And so yeah. I'm imagining, and I'm not sure about that, but I've seen that enough with people that like that's just that, that learning um, that learning and solving new problems sort of value that people have, like when that's not getting fed that's when um, whatever the old endeavor is, it's time to let it go or it naturally sees its way out the door. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. And you're, you, you have me pegged. <laughs> if I do something too much, it does get boring. But, you know, I was explaining to my husband the other night, um, I was doing our accounting, you know, for, for our business and, you know, I was having a glass of wine. I had some, you know, really fun music on and I was sitting there, you know, typing everything in, doing my QuickBooks online. And he's like, what are you doing right now? It looks like you're having so much fun. And I was like, QuickBooks, of course. And he's like, how can you be having so much fun doing that? And I'm like, I don't know. I love that I'm doing it. I'm going to get it done. And then I'm going to get to run a report and see how much money I spent on postage this year. You know, it's so fun to me. And I was like, but if I had to sit here every day and do QuickBooks, I would be miserable, you know, and for me, our, the business that I have is perfect because it is cyclical. So it's like twice a year, I do the task of opening up the patchwork show applications and going through the vendors. And once a year I reach out to presenters. So oftentimes I'll only do one type of task once a year. So by the time it rolls back again, I'm like, Oh, I'm excited to email presenters and reach out to them. Yeah, well, I'll slide this in. A lot of times when we're in um, the business of making creative things, um, we end up with all these open loop projects. Like you really don't know when it's done. You don't know what done looks like. Um, And so sometimes having these closed loop projects like, you know, doing QuickBooks or sending an email, like there's this list of things that you can actually finish and you know what done looks like. Like that can be incredibly nourishing to counterbalance this sort of heady, you're always working on something but don't quite know when it's done sort of scenario. Um, same thing if you're, um, into sort of the, uh, it's writing and, and things like that. And it's really good to have a tangible creative thing where you're like knitting or you're, uh, making something real in the world because it gives you that sense of completion that I think, um, you know, we, we balance in a creative business, we balance sort of that executive open-ended, um, you're always making decisions today, but you don't know how they're going to pan out in six months. Mm-hmm. Damn it. I just sat down and spent 15 minutes and I got something done. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it feels great. I think when I finally realized it was, I had been spending many years as a creative business owner before I finally realized that my to-do list was never going to be done. And if ever the day came when it was actually done, then that would mean there's something wrong with my business. You know, that I'm, because it's just this this constantly revolving door. So you're right. Having a task where, you know, like one of my tasks is plan craftcation and that takes nine months. So I don't get to check that off my list for nine months, but, you know, taking a big task like that and breaking it down into a smaller task, like reach out to presenters when I can check that one thing off, it feels great. Or when I can do something like, 
you know, enter the month's receipts into QuickBooks, check. I know that task's going to come around again, but it does feel really, really good to have that, that joy of completion, even though it's only temporary. <laughs> well, I think that ties into, um, you know, just managing different side projects, right? Because um, when we look at our businesses at any given time, we might have this long project that does take nine months. Um, I'll speak from the writing position because I think a lot of people are more familiar with writing. Like you might be working on the long form book. Um, and some people thrive in just focusing on that long form book for a certain amount of time. Others of us, not so much, right? And so it's good to have like little short form pieces that you can like say, I wrote this and it's done, right? And then you have sort of mid-sized pieces and like I spent a couple of weeks on that, but you're just able to manage these projects so that you don't ever get to that point where you're just stuck. And because mm-hmm. um, it's so easy on one big project to get um, so stuck and lost in your head. Um, and then if that's the one thing you're doing, that could be a long week, right? Um, yeah, no, for sure. That's why I'm such a big fan of breaking down, like, you know, when you're talking about a book, breaking it down into chapters or breaking it down into outline and kind of trying to look at those big tasks that way and getting your, you know, fire and sense of completion from that, that smaller thing. I mean, I never have on my to-do list, write a book, you know, but I might have on there, create the outline and three first, you know, first two pages of chapter one. And then the next week it's first, you know, next three pages of chapter one or the next day or whatever. Um, I don't know anybody. I, I know a lot of creatives and creative entrepreneurs and, the ones I know that are the most successful are the ones who break those big tasks into smaller tasks and then divvy them out throughout a length of time. So you're not, because I think it's just as daunting to look at all those small tasks on one page, but if you can take it and put it on the next week or the next day or something, it doesn't feel as daunting and eventually it will get done. Yeah. Well, and what we're talking about is chunking. Um, it- I'll link up to some different resources we have at Productive Flourishing that really do teach how to chunk projects down. Um, But sort of chunking and sequencing are two of those um, skill sets to learn that like they're not sexy by any stretch of the imagination and no one wakes up with it like, I need to learn how to chunk, (laughs) you know, sort of (laughs) thing. But you're absolutely right. It makes a huge difference between one's ability to um, not get overwhelmed by your to-do list and your goals um, without waking up in the morning and being like, what am I doing today? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's, you know, learning to chunk in the way that's appropriate for you gives you that sort of that, that Goldilocks between, I know what I need to do, but I'm not overwhelmed. But mm-hmm. I'm also not waking up in the morning like, Oh, it's Tuesday. What do I do this Tuesday? Mm-hmm. Cause that's exactly. a, that's a good way to fritter away a day. And then you realize at the end of Tuesday that you needed to work on this other thing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, so just, uh, thanks for, for sliding that in. Cause I think it's, you know, as much as we talk about the sexy part of businesses, the creativity, the making, sometimes it's just learning how to chunk and, and use the blocks of time that you have in that way. <laughs> I think that stuff is sexy. That is yeah. sexy. Like I get so excited when I find a new system or way of, a way of doing something like this past year, I, um, I came up with a new way to organize and strategize our social media. And, you know, through coming up with this new way, it, you know, I, I learned so much and just seeing it all laid out on my, on my calendar and color coded and my whole system. Oh my gosh. It's just, I I love it. I love it. 
like taking yeah. a taking a big task and dividing it up. It's just oh, it's so fun to me. I'm I'm with you on that. I'm just making space for our listeners. Who are like, <laughs> that makes me want to like jump off a bridge. Like there, I'd rather go to the dentist than sit down and figure out how to do these types of things. So you know, um, just sliding that out there does not. Work <laughs> um, so let's talk about though um, how managing these side projects and making time for them um, and and being creative. Well, you know, on the one hand, that can really distract you from your main thing. Um, on the other hand, there are some ways in which it might actually make you, you know, a better boss or better at the or better at the main thing. So, in your experience, what are some different ways that um, you know really managing these side projects makes you better at your main project? So, I mean, we've definitely talked about overwhelm a bit, you know, with regards to to-do lists. And that's, that's an area where when you, when you go into your day or, you know, go into your workspace stressed, it touches everything you do. And I'm not really like a big woo-woo person, although I did just recently start doing yoga. But <laughs> it's, you know, when you go in there with that, um, kind of stress inside of you and that overwhelm already, you're not going to be able to handle things as well. You're not going to be able to think creatively. So having side projects, which, you know, for me, I have various ones and some are part of our business and some are not like I would consider our podcast kind of a side project. It's not something we really do to make money or you know, we kind of use it for marketing, but it's more of a way for my business partner and I to connect with each other and with our community. So something like that, just using that as an example, one thing that's made me a better boss is when, you know, somebody's listening to the podcast and they'll send me an email like, oh my gosh, I just, you know, figured this thing out. Or it's so nice to you know, get to, get to know you guys and see that you guys go through the same things that we do. Um, or taking something else that I do that really isn't related to my work so much, which is this past summer, I made a commitment to work in my sketchbook every, every day, which was much easier in the summer. Now that I'm back into my busy time, it's not happening. Um, and taking that time, you know, helped me visually when I'm looking and I'm thinking, okay, we need to do a little bit of rebranding and then I'll, you know, go back and, oh yeah, I remember that color that I used in that watercolor or on that, or on that page. And then also just coming into it with the, the mind of somebody that has like taken a break with like a calm mind that's ready to be creative. I think it's important as creatives to realize that, you know, our creativity isn't just for that creative thing we make, our writing or our painting or whatever that is. Our creativity is to be creative in our business as well. You know, we've come up with solutions that work for us and strategize creatively. I also want to slide in. Now, now granted, you mentioned you're not, you know, necessarily woo-woo. Now, I'm from Portland mm -hmm. and I've gotten... Um, yeah, by osmosis, I'm incredibly much more woo than I used to be. Uh, <laughs> but the thing that I want to say here is that part of being a creative knowledge worker is you have to recognize that your emotions are one of the ingredients that you're working with, right? And if you're showing up stressed and anxious and frustrated and things like that, well, that's that would be like 
painting something and like, what are the colors that, what are the different colors and palettes that you have? Well, part of it is this anger and frustration and whatever that is. Now you can be intentional about how to use those colors or you can mix them with others. But I think we too often underestimate how important our emotional state is to what we produce and how it ties into what we produce. So I'm just sliding that out there that, um, if having a side project gives you a, an additional canvas to work with some of those emotions or that by that project helps clear up some of those emotions, they, at the end of the day, what you create in your main thing is going to be much more clean and on point because it's not mixing all of these different emotional colors. in it. So um, just wanted to slide that out there. Now, nice. So I was going to say, I so agree with you. And, and the other thing that I just wanted to add when we're talking about the benefits of these side projects is that they can lead to so many, you know, collaborations, other jobs. I mean, I just, we did a little thing at the end of the year last year. We, we asked our audience, what were your best and worst moments of 2016? And one of the girls said, you know, I started this, um, you know, daily art, daily art practice. And she said, through that, I ended up, doing regular, you know, art stuff for a massage therapist and got all these free massages. And then she told her friend, and then I got a freelance gig doing this. And she had all started that just as something for herself as a side thing that she had to make time for in between her full-time job and her part-time business and her own creativity in life. Yep. So. Yeah. And, um, the funny thing about it is, is one of the things that really leads to great creative breakthroughs is um, being involved with a divergent population of people, right? Um, especially a divergent population of creatives. So if all of your friends are writers or painters, like exclusively, you're not going to be the most, um, you probably, I won't say this, you're probably not going to be um, nearly the writer that you might be if your friend group can included writers and painters and sculptors and coders and entrepreneurs and all sorts of different things. And so that's the other benefit of doing some of these side projects is you don't have to try to figure out how this side project and the community um, in which this side project will thrive is related to your main thing you know what, you can do it just because you enjoy doing it. And there are these all, all these other side benefits that will come from that. Yeah. And they, those side benefits will emerge or they won't, but either way you don't lose that enjoyment that you had when you were doing it. And I just wanted to add that that point you brought up, brought up about being with a divergent community is I agree. It's so important. And I was thinking about um, a friend, a friend of mine is in a mastermind group and in that group, she's the only creative entrepreneur in there. So everybody else, it's an entrepreneur group, but you know, so she's the creative one. There's a writer, there's a lawyer, there's um, a doctor, you know, and somebody that owns a dry cleaner, you know, like all these different things. And when someone comes in with a problem, you don't have that. Everybody in the group isn't coming from the same space as a solution. Like you may not even realize a dry cleaner has, you know, this great, this great suggestion for, you know, where that chapter should go in your book or something. It's like they're coming at it with like a whole different skill set and a whole different experience level. So I've seen it happen so many times where the person that isn't in your, in your industry is the one that has the best solution. Yeah. Well, Larry and I riff a little bit about this in um, episode 132 of the creative giant. So Larry Robinson is a, is an expert on creativity. He's done a lot of work there, but it's just so critical. I mean, I think, well, I was teaching this to 
um, the Wayfinding Academy community. I'm, I'm involved in the Wayfinding Academy in different ways, and I'm teaching lab. But part of what I was encouraging the students to do is like for every what challenge that they had, create a who solution, right? Mm. So rather than just collapsing and thinking about the same, because when you find a who solution, you're going to find probably someone that's going to bring in a different perspective than what's got you stuck in whatever mind rut that you're in. And so um, I'm just going to share that here. Whenever you have a what challenge, find a who solution um, and, and lean into that. And I realize that's not necessarily as introvert friendly as people would like it to be. Um, <laughs> but I think it's I've, one of those really significant impacts is, is just saying like, not what do I need to do, but who do I need to talk to about this um, to, to get some progress on this particular thing. Um, but I'm curious about something because you've mentioned that your partner, your business partner also has her own um, multiple arm in, <laughs> enterprise mm -hmm. scenario going on. So I imagine in that scenario, one of the challenging things is that all of your um, multi-armed empires don't necessarily share the same timeline in the sense that sometimes she might have a project that's due in a business or she has a deadline that's due in one business that might conflict with the projects that you're sharing. So I'm wondering, um, how do you guys work out those um, temporal, temporal misalignments or just when, <laughs> um, when you have to divide energies just based upon the different times and requirements from those different businesses? Um, I, I think that we probably have a pretty unique partnership that than most other partners have. I didn't really realize it until uh, at Craftcation, we had a panel on partnerships. So we had a couple other sets of business partners. And then, you know, the moderator was asking us questions. And every time Delilah and I were the ones that everybody was like, that's how you do that? That's so weird. Um, but that was how we made it up when we started. So having, having said that, um, we don't really stick to you know, okay, we each have to do 50% of the work and we each get 50% of the money and, you know, da, 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 da. we went in there with, you know, okay, this needs to be done. Who's going to be better at this and can do it quicker. And that was kind of how it happened. And then, you know, over the past 10 years, <laughs> as our businesses have changed, as our business and our businesses that we had separately have changed, um, I decided I wanted to dedicate more of my time to the business we have together, Dear Handmade Life. So I just started dedicating more of my time to it. And then eventually we had a conversation about it where I was like, Hey, um, I've been doing all this extra stuff for this whole time. I feel like I need more money. And she's like, yeah, you do. Why did you wait so long to ask? Like you should have taken this before. So we just kind of have, have conversations like that. Um, I mean, we will go weeks without talking to each other and we have a very complicated business, but we're very independent of each other on what we do, which I think is pretty uncommon. And then just this past year, she had an opportunity to open up a cafe, which anybody that's opened up a restaurant or has worked at a restaurant knows that that's a lot of work with two other business partners. And during the process of the first few months of the business, uh, both the business partners were no longer with the business. So it was just her. So she's trying to basically run this brand new restaurant plus do her part for what we're doing. And, you know, we had a conversation about that. So I think it's really kind of that communication and then 
it's different because we're family and we have a, a trust already in place, but we still have to have those conversations. And it's much easier for her to come to me because of her personality type and say, hey, why did you do this? Than for me to go to her and say, um, hey, why did you do this? So that's what I've learned over time is that communicate. It's just like a marriage, you know, and we have what we call like marriage counseling. So once a year, sometimes twice a year, I mean, it depends on how often we need it. We will meet with somebody who's, um, we call her our business advisor and she gives us a list of questions. We fill them out and we have like a three hour session talking about everything. And she gives us, you know, solutions and kind of mediates between the two of us if there are any problems. So it's not, it's not easy to maintain and the workload is never distributed equally. And, you know, it's, it's, it's up, it's up and down and yeah, I mean, that's, that's how we solve it, I guess, is through communication. Yeah. Well, I want to highlight two different points here. There's, there's the reactive part of it of saying like, Hey, just leaning into it and things have changed and then having the conversation kind of ad hoc. Um, but there's also the proactive version of having these, you know, you know, they're going to happen at some point in the future where you're talking about basically the relationship. And, you know, I, I do work with a lot of um, multi-party founder scenarios like husband, wife teams and things mm-hmm. like that. And that's just one of those things um, that experience has taught is that uh, you have to have periods of time where you assess the relationship and what's growing and what's changing and be open to those changes and have a way of working through that. Um, as opposed to just letting it bottle up and, and things like that. And the other thing I'll say real quick is um, I almost always encourage people not to start with a 50, 50 mindset um, because it, I think starts a way of thinking about their relationship that in the course of time doesn't pan out and then people are frustrated. So what if we didn't start this relationship as if it were ever going to be 50, 50, um, how might that change the way we talk about the relationship? So I'm just going to slide that out. It's pretty rare that any business, both partners would be doing the exact same amount of work on the exact same, in the exact same week. I mean, I think if you're one of those people that really, um, you know, really wants to assess that and set that fairness up, you know, don't download an, I don't know, I use an app called Hours Keeper. And so just have you and your partner clock in with the time. And after a period of a year, you know, or maybe six months, depending on what type of business you have and how how, you know, if it's events like us, it would be a year and then assess the, the hours, that, the hours that you work, like if you really want to know, but going into it with the 50, 50 thing, it's kind of like, you know, entering into a marriage, you know, 50, 50, 50, it, it will work for some people, but for others, it creates a barrier between the team and the partnership. Yeah. I think it also, I think prevents you from talking about which dimensions of the business may be more valuable and less valuable than others. And that, that's a super challenging conversation. Cause if you were to look at, you know, one framework is like you look at, you know, marketing, product development, delivery, and um, customer support and admin. Right. Um, and you could say, okay, those are the major buckets. Like what percentage um, are we doing in each one of those buckets? And you kind of do a little bit of math, but you might say, you know what, the, customer service and admin stuff is super important. Um, but it's not as valuable as this particular marketing thing because we're not good at marketing or we're great at marketing, whatever that may be. And so you're able to have a different level of conversation about the relative value of the work. And I think that's a better conversation than just like, we're just putting time in together because 
I, I think especially if you take the executive view of it, at a certain point, you might need to say like, hey, we need to hire someone to do admin. Mm-hmm. But if your um, sweat in the business is tied up to admin, um, you're automatically going to be resistant because if you hire that person, then what does that mean for you? And it's like, no, 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 no. That's the wrong way to think about this. Yeah. That's such an, that's such an important point. And I, I went through that in the past couple of years too. I was in charge of our social media and, you know, at some point I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And how I thought of it was, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I have to have somebody else do this what other thing that I do do I want to do more of? Like, what else can I give to our business to, to improve it? How can I fill that time instead of like, oh, I'm giving this to somebody else. Now what am I going to do? You know, it was like, okay, now what am I going to take on? Exactly, exactly. And it's um, really, I like to think of like, what's the most high value activity you could be doing, right? Mm-hmm. And when you have someone, especially when you get to a certain level of maturity and you're like, okay, so to have someone do social media marketing is if we were to hire them as a W2, like that would be 20 bucks an hour. So if I do social media, I'm essentially saying my time is worth 20 bucks an hour. However, if I do this other sort of sales and networking thing, and if I were to hire someone to do that, then it would be 80 bucks an hour. Um, and it's like, why would I spend time doing the lower value thing if I can do the higher value thing that's going to add more to the business? But again, you can't really have that conversation if you're stuck in a 50-50 mindset. Mm-hmm. So great. Um, so I think we may have we may have um, talked about this, but I am curious. Like again, when you're doing a lot of different projects and you're interweaving these, um, at a certain point, um, what you thought was possible, um, you find was either really low from what was actually possible, or really high from what was actually possible. And you're always, I think, having to maintain or having to judge. Um, levels of success in a dynamic way because it's not just that one business or that one project it's that project relative to everything else Um, so when you're experiencing that and these projects are coming together how do you work through um, you know whether that project is successful all things considered and I know that's a really broad question no I mean it's okay I'm trying to think of um I feel like I, I can answer that more about uh, craftcation just because that's what I'm in the midst of right now. So um, this year I set a goal for how many tickets I wanted to sell. Mm-hmm. And before I, I had always done that before. So I do all of our marketing and that side of side of things. My partner does um, more project production and logistics which I have no idea about. And she has no idea what our marketing thing is, which is kind of why it works out so well. So in the past I had set, set a goal, but then I just kind of had it in my head and I didn't really like lay out steps to get to it. I was like, I want to sell this many tickets. And I was like, okay, business as usual, you know? And this year it was like, I want to sell this many tickets. What are new ways that I can do that? So first I was like, I need to see what's new in marketing. You know, so I went online, I I took an online course um, from Creative Live and, you know, took notes the whole time. And then I also kept a little notebook, wrote down every idea I had. And then I created a whole marketing plan, which I had never really strategized in that way before. It was like, okay, we're going to send out a newsletter here and post on Facebook here and send something out to past people here. But like this time I, you know, we started an ambassador program 
We um, did a bunch of extra stuff with our alumni. I, you know, re- reached out to our community. I set up strategic partnerships with similar businesses that maybe didn't have the money to sponsor, but that we could give each other something. So when I hit that amount of tickets this past week, I was like, okay, success. You know, we've sold more tickets than ever before. This is, this is great. But I also feel like if I wouldn't have hit that, I still would have felt like it was a success. So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to explain because, um, I guess at the end of the day, I just ask myself, am I proud of the work that I'm doing? You know, do I feel like I did the best job that I could do? And then for, for me, my additional thing is, do I feel like I'm, you know, giving the best that I can give to our community? So, um, for our business, educating you know this community of creatives and helping them create a job that they love or helping them you know stay at their full-time job that they may not love but they like and then make time to pursue their creative things on the side that that is what drives me you know i I'm never driven by money. I should be. I should be more. I should keep that in keep that in mind more. And I'm I'm trying to get better at that. So in the end, that's really what I ask. Like, am I am I proud of the work that I've done? Do I feel like I'm giving the best I can give to our community? And if the answer is yes and yes, then success. Yeah. If I may, rather than thinking I should be driven by money, maybe say like maybe it would be good to be guided by money, but not driven. Right. Guided by money, yes. Um, I, it's, it's, I'll be totally honest right now. It's something that I need to address and it's on my list of, you know, what I'm going to be addressing this year. So, um, yeah, I mean, I didn't really realize it until we were having one of the meetings with our financial advisor and something about, you know, me getting a raise came up and I burst out in tears and I'm like, okay, something's wrong here. I think this is something that I need to deal with. This is emotional. You know, this is, this probably goes into some past stuff, you know, artist, you know, starving artist syndrome. I need to, I need to explore this. So. Yeah. I've got to think about that. <laughs> Apparently. Right. It's like, that's just, Oh yeah. wow. I didn't expect that. Um, so for people curious about that, I think that's actually common, especially amongst creative entrepreneurs that I know, right. Is that it's sort of, do the art and then the money is just kind of there. Um, one thing that I would say about that, and this is for listeners, not necessarily for, for you because it's unsolicited advice in a way, um, is make sure that like reading about financial stuff is a part of your regular flow. Like if all of your stuff is around creative business and creativity and all this type of thing, and you're never actually immersing yourself with people who are passionate about talking about money or they're providing that, then yeah, it's like you're not going to be good at it. You're not going to be, it's not going to be top of mind. But if you introduce it as a normal thing that you read about, a normal thing that you address, and it's just a normal part of it, then I think it's easier for it not to become one of those sort of boogeyman things that like, we don't really talk about it. And, and it makes it like, no, it's like eating and everything else. It's part of life. It's part of the life of being a creative entrepreneur is that um, you are, impacted by, influenced by, um, driven by, sometimes guided by money. And so that's the truth. Lean into it. You know? I think that is such great 
Great, great advice. And you just think about anything that you don't give attention to, it doesn't flourish. I mean, it sounds silly, but if you don't water your garden, you're not gonna you're not gonna have crop crops that year. And I mean, this this past year, I started I started addressing it a bit. Um, I feel like I'm like the app mentioner right now, but I use this other app called Acorns, mm-hmm. um, which you know, you could, it's an investment app, but you can put like $5 a month in it, or, you know, you can round up anything that you spend. And so I, I started that. And then I started just putting aside a little bit of money in my savings account. And in a year and a half, I have more money saved right now than I ever have saved before. And I do not feel uh, like I missed out on anything, you know, and all I, all I did, like you said, was just start paying attention to this stuff. I mean, I did, I did the same thing with my credit. I had really poor credit. And so I started reading up on how to improve your credit and, you know, set up a, I have another credit. I have a credit app on my phone that I used to check my credit called Credit Karma. And I love it. Mm -hmm. And in two years, I raised my credit score 300 points. Mm -hmm. So the fact that I could raise it 300 points will tell you how low it was, but um, it's, it's so true. It's just, Anything that you don't pay attention to, it is not going to flourish. Yeah. What you feed grows, right? And it's really that simple, but we don't feed that fear of our life for fear and shame and embarrassment and overwhelm and whatever it is. And so it doesn't grow and then we get stuck with the same problem. So um, just something to think about Um, in the show notes, I'll probably slide in um, a couple of books in case you're curious about just good ones to go to that are sort of non-judgy and non-preachy about it. Um, so that you can introduce that. And I'm not talking to Nicole, I'm talking to listeners, but I want to see those books. <laughs> you want to see them? All right, Nelson. I'm excited. I'll, I'll send them to you. So, um, you know, looking at the time, wow, time has flown today. Um, since you're the guest on this particular jam, um, guests always get to make an invitation or a challenge, right? And um, for our listeners. So based upon what we've talked about today, um, what invitation or challenge would you like our listeners uh, or would you like to share with our listeners? We have talked about so many things. This is such, this is a hard one. Um, I think maybe the invitation would be to start us to start a side project and that could be anything. It could be something for your business, something for yourself. It could be something for your money. <laughs> you know, maybe that's finally starting a, starting a savings account. It's not really a side project, but it is something project. that requ- yeah, requires your attention. Mm-hmm. So starting, starting some kind of side thing. And if you're listening to this, if you're a creative, you probably know what that side thing al- is already. And you probably have a list of many of them. So pick the one out that maybe seems the most manageable right now where you are. That's fantastic. Nicole, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. This was such a joy. Okay, Creative Giant. So you heard it from Nicole. What side project can you start today? Now, remember, anything that takes time, energy, and attention is, in fact, a project. And so it could be something that you've been you know, not doing. Or it can be something that you've been um, sort of half doing. But whatever it is, what side project can you start today that would um, either make you happy or push you towards um, some important goals for you? Until next time, stand tall. If you're digging the Creative Giant Show, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a rating or review on iTunes. If you're not familiar with how to do this, there's a walkthrough available on the podcast page on ProductiveFlourishing.com. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Creative Giant Show. 
To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, creative giant.